Welcome back to In the Queue, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Andrew. And normally I like to see an actor chew the scenery. Uh, but in this film, oh, Antonio Banderas just goes bonkers. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's just... It just it doesn't fit. It feels like it feels like he's totally untethered. Yeah, um, I think we're we're gonna have a really fruitful discussion about this film. Uh, this is Phil, <laughs> your other co-host, and Gabriel Byrne is a master of many accents. Oh no! Many of which were on display in this film. <laughs> oh man, brutal, brutal. <laughs> Uh, the film that we're talking about is The 33. Uh, this was a film from last year, from 2015, mm-hmm. uh, that is about the 2010 collapse, uh, Chilean mine collapse uh, that the world was riveted by um, as they attempted to rescue the miners who were trapped in there for a very long 69 time. 69 days. 69 yeah, days. And uh, our guest on the show today is Raleigh. Raleigh, say hi to everybody. Hey, if you would. how's everybody doing? What's up? Who's who had They're the doing... best day, audience? <laughs> I think I hear. I think I can hear them. No, I can't, guys, because it's it's not live. Sadly, uh, yeah. the The film is about the Chilean uh, mine collapse, and it is uh, an interesting film. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to tell you how to find us on the web. Mm. You can first find us by going to our website slash blog. That is www.in-the-q. That's the letter q.com. There you can find everything that we do posted uh, for your listening or downloading pleasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, you can go to our Facebook page by going to Facebook and searching for In the Q, Q Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. Uh, There and on the blog, you can post... Uh, films that you would like us to talk about and then we'll have you on the show and we'll engage in conversation with you about said film just as raleigh is doing today yeah uh you can also like our facebook page and then all of the posts will show up in your feed and that includes uh, supplemental posts that uh, may not be the podcast themselves but help to further your experience of the film in one way or another and we also are active on Twitter. We are at, at ITQ Podcast. That is our handle. Uh, you can follow us there, and we'll follow you back. And but I just um, want to add a caveat. We won't follow you back if you're a fake Twitter account, though. Like Sure. sure. If you're just about like, like uh, bodybuilding supplements or, or modeling or something like that. I've seen a lot of these people, and frankly, I'm sick and tired of it. Oh, man. I mean, that's wow. a pretty hard line, but aren't... Aren't those technically real Twitter accounts? I, I don't know. I really don't. I think I'm undecided at best. Oh, wow. Wow. How about that? But yeah, but if you have anything to do with, with anything real, especially anything that has to do with movies, we will definitely follow you back. We'll follow you back. Uh, finally, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, just search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and you can subscribe to the podcast there and get every single episode delivered straight to you. It's pretty great. Yep. So, as I said before, the film is The 33. It's about the 33 Chilean miners who were trapped underground for 69 days, and the world sat riveted watching their rescue. Mm-hmm. And uh, Raleigh, why don't you give us a sense of 
why it is that you recommended this film and uh, and why we're talking about it today. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, a long time yeah, listener. Thanks for being on. First time uh, included, mm. which I'm very happy <laughs> about. Uh, the reason I, I uh, forced you guys to do this movie was because uh, it, it has to do with my favorite historical crisis, which is the Chilean mine collapse. Um, last August, I... I I think I saw like a tweet or something that was like, hey, what happened to those Chilean miners five years after uh, the collapse? Um, and so I went online and fell in love immediately with the story. I thought it was the greatest story. Mm-hmm. Found out there was going to be a movie for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched the documentary first, then I watched the trailer for the movie, and the trailer looked like such garbage that I was <laughs> horrified. And then I read yeah. the whole book, and the book was not great, but it was pretty good. Um, and then I watched the movie with my roommate, and it was terrible. Um, uh-huh. But I wanted to I do, like, a show about it, um, and I had just been to see Sleep No More three times, uh, and so I decided, <laughs> oh, we, this is perfect. We can do, like, an immersive version of this at the Annoyance Theater since it sort of has the feel of a collapsed mine. Mm. And so mm-hmm. we, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a show and cast a, an all-Latino cast, which was better than this movie did, so take that movie. Mm, yeah. Um, and we're in, now currently enjoying a fun, fun time. Uh, you could see us every Saturday in June at the Annoyance Theater. Yeah, uh, so uh, by the sound of it, Raleigh, you didn't follow the event as it was happening back in 2010. This was something you discovered as a result of seeing a tweet about it. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody sort of vaguely knew about it. Um, but the, the mm-hmm. facts were a little blurred. Like I, I wasn't sure like how far down they were. You know, like the, I, I didn't realize the severity of the situation mm, until yeah, yeah. I, I read up on it, and then I realized it was way more severe than I ever thought. Um, and so, like I remember, I was at Boy Scout camp when I heard about it in 2010. I was like running a Boy Scout camp, and then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my own problems. Like the 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 is <laughs> all dirty, and the caper dining two shift is coming, and I got to deal with this. <laughs> um, but but you know, obviously they had it. I wouldn't say harder than me at a at a fun uh, Boy Scout Maybe camp. Equally but hard. Yeah, equally yeah. hard. Different. Maybe different. a little less hard, but right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I think that uh, if if there is one thing that I think that this film actually does pretty well, it's flesh out those details a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, help you understand exactly what it is that the miners were, maybe not what they were going through necessarily, because I think some of the melodrama of it kind of crushes that, but at least the, the technical aspects of it, like the this, you know, gigantic rock, the size of two Empire State buildings is was bearing down on them. You know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, and then Which, they actually honestly, have a little they have a little graphic of two Empire State yeah. buildings next to the yeah. rock on the computer screen. Right. Yeah. In case you were confused about which Empire State building they're talking about. Right. And by yeah. the way, that is a that's not true. It's fake. It was twice the Wait. mass of the Empire State building, but physically it's the height of a fifty five story building. Oh wow! Well, yeah, you know, the audience that this movie is geared towards can't understand the concept of mass, so I think they had to dumb <laughs> it down a little bit. It's true, but like I, th- I mean, there are there are certainly times, and and I think we'll talk about this a little later when like obviously it wasn't very dramatic because after seventeen days of of not knowing whether they were going to get rescued, the stakes immediately vanished for the rest of the like two months that they were down there, and so they had to really jazz it up with a lot of like, no, you took my iPod, no, you took, you know. 
like kind of yeah. inserting a lot of drama that necessarily wasn't there. Yeah, and that, and that I think I mean the interesting thing about this film is it's a little bit over two hours long, and but it feels like uh, sixty nine uh, days. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say is that it 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 reaches that sort of uh, dispersal of tension about halfway through. And then it becomes much less about the the kind of building of tension and more about just kind of the boring, mundane, day-to-day, like... Yeah. Well, I was really struck by how little the characters were developed in this movie. I feel oh, like yeah. each... There's maybe maybe five, you know, primary characters who had some factoid attributed to them, like, oh, this guy loves Elvis, or this guy's from Bolivia, or this guy, his wife's pregnant... And yet, that's about as far as it goes in terms of learning about these people. And, yeah. uh, and I feel like a lot more could have been done to kind of establish the stakes in terms of, like, of, of the characters themselves. And in reference to what you said, Andrew, about Antonio Banderas' scenery chewing, there's <laughs> one scene in particular, and I think it's the scene when he's confronted about the book deal that he was offered, where he's like standing in the middle of the I can't really say room because there's no rooms down there, the refuge or whatever. And all these people are gathered around and they're all pissed off because because they feel like he's going to profit from this and and they won't. And he's just kind of going on this tirade, but he can't he can't bring himself to look up. Like he's 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 going off on this really super dramatic rant with this melodramatic dialogue and he's looking down the whole time and like yeah. finally he manages to kind of raise raise up to eye level with everybody else after he's finished and at, it was at that moment that i was really like okay it's official i think this might be an ironic listener's request <laughs> because this movie is really it's it's like a big ham bone in a pot of soup it's so ham-fisted um and i just and don't get me started on juliette binoche who is the the classiest person in this film she was originally going to be played by uh, Jennifer Lopez, but Jennifer oh, Lopez that, that role that role yeah not Julia Binoche herself but the role that Julia <laughs> Binoche played was originally going to be Ju- Jennifer Lopez who dropped out to do American Idol, and oh yeah which kind of gives you an idea of how you know this movie was regarded yeah. by some people, and um, but it's just it's really. It's very. If anybody is curious about this film, the first thing that I would say about it is that it's super melodramatic and and very sappy in the way that it presents this riveting situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that typifies the entire film from beginning to end. It's, um, it definitely emotions run high for all of the primary characters at pretty much every moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is, which is, I guess, understandable given the situation that they find themselves in, but it, uh, it just Antonio, seems... you're at a 10. I need you at a 10. Can you give me a 10? <laughs> Great. Okay. Yeah, basically. Uh, I, I don't know. Raleigh, you said you read the book, right? Yeah. So the book is called Deep Down Dark. Uh, yeah. Deep Down Dark. Um, Hector Tobas is the writer, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it it kind of nails the book pretty well, um, but I, I mean the the book is an imperfect story in itself. Like the 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 event itself is not, I feel, a good 
hero's journey kind of story. It like mm-hmm. very top heavy and then really peters out. But I think they like almost by trying to to really do the story as as closely as possible, they kind of like totally shoot themselves in the foot. Also, like there are 70 people in this movie who are like sort of equally important to the the rescue and yeah. everybody gets like a moment which means nothing you know like i'm like who the fuck is this guy like oh you're the other minor expert and oh but you're oh but you're the guy who knows all the, like but like why do i care about a hundred yeah like the guy who's running the american drill yeah jeff hart he's from colorado yeah jeff hart oh yeah baby. he's <laughs> hometown boy hometown boy uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he uh he has conferred a lot of importance like the the way that the visual language of the film is speaking to us like the way especially in in the end of the film uh as they are, you know, spoiler alert rescuing the oh, miners. Oh, I haven't seen the end, dude. <laughs> I know. It's just like guys in Titanic the boat sinks. I'm going to watch the rest after the um, podcast. <laughs> but as they're as they're rescuing people or after the fact, they put all of this uh, importance on this one guy and and like it when it comes down to it it's like he he operated the drill the drill bit broke they put a magnet down there they pulled out the parts of the drill and then he turned it back on again and it worked <laughs> and and it's you know it's there's something like i i remember when this thing happened and i remember uh being at work i think and people were watching it they were watching like a live stream of it Dude, it's because you worked at the chilean mine dude that's right that's right that's right uh yeah everybody's watching it on tv you're like yeah <laughs> instead yeah, of yeah. just looking out the window uh <laughs> but uh they were watching it and and the human drama of it centered around kind of these people coming out and have the, these tearful reunions with their loved ones uh you know after the fact mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you were watching minor after minor after minor come out and hug somebody that they love or, you know, whatever. And, and, and people were really getting into it. And I think what this film tried to do is flesh out those relationships. But by spreading it so thin, it, it as you say, Phil, the, the, the characters never got developed enough for us to really care. So when we end up with these 70 kind of you know, characters who are tangentially related to the mm-hmm. success of this operation, it it has so much less meaning. Well, it kind of seems like, yeah, it puts most of the responsibility uh, for the success of the mission in the hands of just a few people. Uh, and I, I don't know a whole lot about how it really went down uh, in real life. I, I wasn't watching it on the news. I don't really watch the news. Um, I don't have, I don't watch TV, but it just kind of seems like they could have done more. I mean, there were, there were, let's see, three screenwriters, which is a fair amount for a film. Um, and then it was based on a screen story and that was based on a book. And I kind of felt like they were so concerned about dumbing down the scope of the tragedy and make, make sure that it was manipulative enough that it gave people those peaks and valleys of, Oh, they're gonna they're gonna make it, or they're not gonna make it. Oh, they're gonna make it, and then of course we all know that they make it. But like, I felt like Gabriel Byrne's character, in particular, d- delivered a lot of the exposition. Like mm-hmm. when there was that first moment 
when um, there was like a crisis and then he says we don't know how much oxygen we'll be able to give them down there before it goes away completely and it's kind of like it really felt like he was talking to, to me when he said that rather than like the other people in the room like the, the other characters right. who were there um, yeah who would have known that right and so I feel like because that's their profession <laughs> yeah I kind of felt like this movie was um, just coming from a very surfacey area, which is ironic because it takes place underground almost entirely. Dude, but that it, is deep. That's it was, good. Thank you. Oh, thank it's you. very deep. Um, you know, mine, hey. mining for uh, <laughs> truth here. Um, and it just, it just seemed like a kind of, it kind of failed in the, in that regard. But there's lots of people who, who really, one of lots is the right term, but there are definitely people who are stirred by this film and by the, the power of the film. And it's a powerful story. Like, it's a very elemental story. That wasn't an intentional pun, actually. But it just <laughs> kind of came out. But it just, I felt like it was flubbed. And I think that the blame can be placed on the writing and also the directing, because I felt like the director um, just really kind of plumbed the depths of the actors to to go for the really melodramatic stuff. You were doing you were doing every single unintentional pun that you plumbed <laughs> in the, in the but, uh, Yeah. The the reason like the the I watched the trailer and then was just like, what is this wreck? It was because it does it hits all of those like if you were doing a bit, like you're trying to make a fake version of this, you do yeah. all the same things like like the first line in the trailer is, Did you love birds get the sonogram back yet? And it's like, okay, she's pregnant. And then the next yeah. line is, congratulations, you're a week away from retirement. It's like, okay. The next yep. line is, yeah. I know it's yep. my yep. day off, but I want to come in on this. It's like, what is you? Like, yeah, yeah we and then, get it. And then Lou Diamond Phillips is like, so yeah, so the mine is safe, right? I found this problem. I think maybe we should reconsider yeah. going down there today. No, it's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just, it just feels so like, I don't know. It's like it's like winking, like the the screenwriters like in the room with you, like you get get it, you guys get it, and it's like yeah, we know, we already know, like you don't yeah. need to hammer any of this. Yeah, I think I think the best films, and I mean there are you know countless great filmmakers who have echoed this sentiment at one point or another. The the best films show and don't tell, right? They just they give you the information visually, they give you the the context clues that you need to figure out what it is that's happening and they don't have their characters just shove it down your throat you know oh man i just i just looked up the director uh, patricia riggan she uh-huh. made miracles from heaven which is out now oh dear which is uh it, it's been playing at the theater that i work at for the past few weeks um, yeah and but this 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 makes me believe that she's very interested in faith and movies and what I've read about the 33 is that the movie does not contain nearly as much of the spiritual dimension of the, of the characters' lives as the original book does. Um, like yeah. there's, really, there's really no mention in the film of God, I don't think, of, of like praying for their survival. There's that. Well, there's... At the very end, they scratch a, a message on the wall that was like, we lived down here for 69 days. God was with us. That's true. Yeah, 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 there's that. And they tried to do that. They did the the things that were like literally what, you know, like the thing that was written on the message when it came out, although that was in Spanish and they wrote it in English on the on the thing. And yeah. it was just like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? 
Um, yeah. And I think maybe we can talk about like why you would do it in English in a sec, but but like it, yeah, it was definitely why you a big picked part. the actress. You picked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, fate, it feels like fate was like the thing that kind of kept them going. But honestly, like, where did they have to go? You know, like they were stuck down there. So like, there <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know what would have kept them going, or, or, or I don't know if faith like they, they they attribute a lot of their success to faith, but like really like you know they weren't gonna die in 17 days like they were just gonna ration the food and then die in 30 days or whatever right right not before they have that hallucination where they're at a big banquet table and uh, what was that that was that scene that scene with the cow too where they're just like oh he brought a cow and they had that big wide shot of everybody like doing the fake too hard laughter yeah, and then it immediately cuts back to them eating that, like, tuna salsa that they made or whatever <laughs> it was. Just because they're Chilean doesn't mean it was salsa, Andrew. Well, it was like, it was like, it was like red and, 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 and pasty, but I only ever heard them say that they had tuna, so that's why I say that. <laughs> Maybe but, they, they used the remains of the 34th to mash it all together. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there really were 34 miners down there. That's what the film's not telling us. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Raleigh, let's talk about the the curious decisions made about this film, about why English, why uh, so many non-Latino actors in the film. Uh, Because it's a curious thing. Mm Mm-hmm. My best guess is because the the proceeds were at least supposed to go to the families and the miners and their families. Mm-hmm. So, like, rather than making probably a really good movie in Spanish with all Spanish actors that was going to gross less at the box office, maybe they went for a big swing to, like, try to get the American audience. Is that a thing that movies do? In America, yeah. Yeah, well, anywhere. Like, if you have the resources, I guess, to get it made in America, you know you're going to get broader distribution, and you know you're going to get a bigger audience. Uh, so it, it makes sense to do it that way. It's uh, It seems... It, I don't know if it's the inverse, but it's, it's somewhere on the same spectrum of so much uh, money being collected for filmmaking from overseas that... Uh, that American films have sort of uh, tried more and more to fit like a certain demographic market to hit the broadest audience, right? They want to please the most people because most American films nowadays don't even make most of their money in America. They make most of their money overseas. So they're making the films for overseas markets. So there's more explosions, there's more boobs, there's more, you know, <laughs> everything that people like to see. Um but but not so much so that you couldn't market. You know that's why there are fewer R-rated movies nowadays, more PG-13 movies. It's a whole lot of sort of homogenization in order to maximize the audience. And I feel like that. I mean, this this film sort of feels like that in a lot of different ways. It feels like it's been homogenized for the purposes of hitting a bigger audience. But it doesn't. It also doesn't feel out of whack with a lot of really just kind of sappy Hollywood flicks that we've seen in the past. Um, yeah. And if it meant that they, in order to get funding for the film, they had to have names like Gabriel Byrne and Juliette Binoche, James uh, James Brolin, Brolin, yeah, right. Um, like maybe that's just what they had to do. Uh, 
in order to get it to work. Well, if you think about Spanish movie star, and I don't mean like from Spain. If you just take like an American average Joe who sometimes goes to the movies and they think, okay, who's an Amer- who's a movie star who who speaks Spanish? Speaks Spanish. Yeah. Well, Antonio Banderas seems to be the primary choice that comes up. And for an audience that might be a little bit older, Lou Diamond Phillips. Right. And <laughs> would be but right I, I will say, though, I thought that uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, he, he delivered a, a really convincing moment at the end of the film when he's the last person to leave the mine. Yeah. I thought like that he, he did like a, a solid job of conveying his, his kind of thankfulness for being able to finally leave and, and go, go about with his life. He had that moment sure. by himself. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think actually, as far as like a, a reasonably nuanced and tempered performance, I think he probably nailed it more than anybody else in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, except maybe Juliette Pinoche, who's always, I think, excellent in terms of performance, no matter what she does. Um, but it did seem weird and kind of out of place to have her in this film, in this role. Yeah, yeah. And 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 for her role to be given uh, an amount of weight that didn't really pay off in the end. <laughs> uh, well, also I felt a little bit cheated because at the climactic scene when everybody is coming out of the mine finally, and uh, and then we're, yeah. we're waiting for for Julia Benoche's brother to come out, and we see her in the audience, and she's you know hotly anticipating this moment. She's she's tearing up, and she's got her her hands on her face, and then but then she leaves. So that when her brother comes out finally, he can't find her, and and then only that that manipulation exists only to uh, to give suspense, and then later on we see them reunite when he's wandering around like the next morning. But here's the funny thing: is that in terms of screen time, it's not that much later on. It's like maybe four or five minutes of screen time tops, uh-huh. and then additionally that scene doesn't have a lot of emotional resonance, or at least it didn't have a lot of an emotional resonance for me. When they reunite, you mean? When they reunite, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, it's, it's, it's kind of anticlimactic, actually, the way that it was done in the film. In, in fact, I think that they really handled that entire relationship poorly because there's, uh, you know, once they sort of bored a hole down to reach the miners, and they're providing them with supplies and they're allowing them to communicate with the outside world, there's every one of the miners is going into this room where they're projecting, you know, yeah. uh, like a Skype call, right? Like this kind yeah. of a thing. Oh, yeah, like this, just like oh, this, yeah. just like this, guys. They're projecting it onto the wall onto a like a bed sheet, and she's on there waiting to talk to her brother, and he's like cowering in the corner and crying to himself. <laughs> yes. And at that point in the film, you have no context for why that's <laughs> happening. <laughs> And I was watching it with my girlfriend, and she was like, why? Why is he doing that? What is happening? She was saying those words out loud, and I was like, you know, I don't have any idea. Exactly why. Because, you know, it's because he's so ashamed. He's ashamed that he's trapped in a mine, and his sister is on ground above. How could he have let this happen? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think part, like, I think they were trying to do it because he was, like, an alcoholic. That was his whole shtick, which, like, by the way, to do, to, like... It's like, how do we show he's an alcoholic in the most obvious way so everyone gets it? Okay, well, yeah. we'll have him, like, the, right off the bat, he, like, pulls a little thing out and drinks it. Um, yeah. But, like, so he's an alcoholic and now he's not? And it's not, and he's ashamed of that? Like, wouldn't wouldn't he? But that, we want to talk to her right away? Like, what's going on? 
Yeah, and then and then when when they he tells the story of her later on in the film, it's all about how she abandoned him earlier in yeah. their lives. And then now I think what they're trying to do is say now it's come full circle and she's there for him when he needs her, when he was there for her, when she, you know, whatever, whatever sort of yin and yang thing that they're trying to do that, but it, 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 it was so clumsy that I, I didn't feel anything at all about the two of them. It was very bizarre. Yeah. Um, no, no, uh, no disagreement here. Uh, I, I've kind of felt like, uh, I didn't really, I wasn't really moved at any point until that last scene with Lou Diamond Phillips, which was obviously a good choice on the part of the filmmakers to have him be that last person because I thought he did he did a good job, but uh, but still it's the movie itself it has it has moments where I was kind of caught up like when they're first when the drill first connects into the the refuge where they are, uh, yep. I was kind of like all right, but that had nothing to do with acting. That was just a matter of, of shot selection and editing. And, and, and it's hard to mess that up, too, you know? Like, it's hard to do a bad job filming the scene when the drill actually breaks through <laughs> through the hole, you know? Although you say that, and I, I'll say that that was like the one point in the film where I was like, well, this is a little... This is a little over the top. Yeah, the hand because, thing. Yeah, he reaches up to touch the drill bit. And I, he shouts. He uh, just screams. No word. Just like raw. You know. Yeah, he just does this weird scream, and it's this whole sort of almost like Renaissance painting kind of thing where he's like laying on the ground, and the light shaft is coming across and hitting him on the face, and it doesn't even make sense because he would just had water dripping on his face, which would indicate that the drill was directly above him. But then when it cuts to him, he's across the room. And how could, how know. could light actually go through that long hole anyway? Right. There I mean, for sure was definitely no light yeah, there. It's yeah, 2000 feet under the ground right. with, with the, uh, with that, the drift, the drift that they talk about. So it, it definitely wasn't just a straight, right. The line, light would be bent know? as it was going through the hole, but I but I confess that that whole moment when it started off with the water dripping on his face, uh, that part effectively manipulated me, and maybe it was just excitement on the the part. Maybe it was just excitement of me thinking, oh boy, this movie's actually going to end someday, and now they're getting on with it. But still, like it was it was just kind of a kind of a, a moment that started had a beginning and a middle and end. That scene had a beginning, middle, and end that was was entertaining um but i'm really just kind of grasping at straws here guys because over, a, overall i didn't like the movie i i, <laughs> I wonder because when I, I i watched the documentary probably three or four times because it is absolutely uh, just is so enthralling mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I, and i don't exactly know why like a more like a and obviously they didn't have any shot like they didn't have any footage you know it was just like all this and and people talking and like diagrams and shit but like, why was it that when they got to use all the shots and like pretty decent actors, like why did that make it so lame? Yeah, well, I think that it has to do with the fact that this is a Hollywood movie, and um, people who work in Hollywood uh, try and cater to uh, the the broadest possible audience, and by by dumbing it down. Um, they feel like that's that's how everybody will will consume it. Like I, 
I actually I made a documentary with a woman who was from Hollywood that was actually a mutual friend. And so uh, she actually was helping me with the editing of the film. This is a short documentary. And she kept saying, like, we got to make this part more clear. We got to make this cl- clear for the people in Iowa. And like, which is to pick on people from Iowa, basically saying that they <laughs> need things dumbed down to them. But her point was that this needs to be so, you know, so absolutely clear exactly what's happening at all times, exactly how we're supposed to feel. It has to be so clear that anybody of any age, of any nationality, any language, any region will be able to follow along with what's happening. So it's kind of like trying to appeal to the broadest possible base. And the the, the niche audience for documentaries is usually highly educated people like yourself and me and Andrew and other people who who can really appreciate, you know, movies like this. Most people when they sit down to watch a movie, they don't think about uh, story or 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 acting ability, I think. I think a lot of people expect certain things when they sit down to watch a movie. And sometimes people don't even understand the difference between a documentary and a fiction film when they sit down to watch a movie. So that's why I think that oftentimes the big budget Hollywood film is is kind of catering to people who have been enjoying a tradition of similar movies that for since they yeah. were kids. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that uh I mean recently we did a podcast on Black Mass, the uh Johnny Depp film mm-hmm. where he plays Whitey Bulger, and I had mentioned that I had prior to seeing that film watched a documentary called The USA versus James J. Bulger which is a spectacular documentary, really interesting, very informative, uh, you know, a lot of fun. And then I also mused as to why when we got to the movie version of it, it wasn't as good. It wasn't as compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if a lot of times, if, if people try to tell the whole story of the documentary in a narrative film, it can, it can fail because they it's not really the medium for telling the 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 complexity and the depth of a story that a documentary can do. Mm. Uh, I, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of of how how detailed you can get with a true narrative, you know, yeah, uh, uh, storytelling in in film form. And um, usually, what you'll end up doing is you'll find that a lot of filmmakers, a lot of writers. Will try to find a through line, find something that speaks to them, find find that thing which makes them, uh, which which is compelling about the story, mm-hmm. right? And then they will laser focus in on that, and those usually tend to be the more successful films. I mean, that's what Stanley Kubrick did his whole filmmaking career. He would go out there and he would read books, and the books that he optioned to make into movies would be very. The film would be very different from the book from which it was drawing, but it was because he picked out that one thing that he really, that really spoke to him about it and then made a film about that, mm-hmm. right? Instead of trying to take the entirety of the book and retell it, you know, page for page. And I think that that's, that's where some of these, it, it just becomes too big. I mean, you're telling a story about 33 miners and the families and the people who are trying to rescue them. It just, it's just too much. Yeah. Um, uh... And a lot of times, well, I think most of the time, 
people who make movies in Hollywood are adhering to you know the traditional three act structure of a screenplay and every screenplay before it gets green lit has to follow that structure and I feel like sometimes when you're when you're trying to stick with a certain structure that limits what you can do creatively and mm-hmm. you know I think maybe I think the screenwriters kind of settled on a, a finished product that hit all the right notes it hit all the right story beats that a screenplay should hit but they ended up with something that was kind of underwritten in terms of character development and and yeah. something that was actually kind of melodramatic and and the directing by Patricia Riggin also probably just drove home that whole ham-fisted approach to the story. But uh, yeah, no, great movie, great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's pretty clear that uh, all, all three of us, I would say, are pretty lukewarm, if not, you know, outright sort of not liking this film. I, I'm all, just kind of bummed out. Iowa, so yeah. I'm <laughs> really offended by you. Oh, no. I made the oh, no. Iowa remark. That's, I deserve your ire, Riley. <laughs> all, all people look the same to me. I'm from yeah. Iowa, so I'm just mad at the <laughs> two of you. The... Oh, great, great, great. Love it. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, yeah, it's it, it fails on a lot of different levels. Um, unfortunate because the, the source story is a very compelling and interesting story. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can't win them all, right? right. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a documentary you could probably recommend instead of this film. I mean, yeah, do you really, know what the name of that documentary was? Uh, I don't remember. But, I mean, I well, would recommend going to the Annoyance show uh, uh, if you want to just yeah. see just the first 17 days. Because we let them out after 17 days. And That's right. there's no dragging your feet, wiping them on the way out the door. <laughs> Yeah, and and I will say as someone who has gone twice to that show that it is uh, an excellent show. And uh, you said it's every Saturday in June? Uh, The next one is this upcoming Saturday, and then we skip May, and then we do every Saturday in June at 8 p.m., and then hopefully more in the future. Great, great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's called Dark Down, Deep Down, Dark, playing at the Annoyance Theater in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, and not Iowa. No matter how many times they ask me to bring the show out there, I say, fuck you, yeah. you bunch of dirt farming garbage eaters. <laughs> great, great, great. So uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. Raleigh, thank you so much for suggesting this film and for coming on the podcast. Thank you so uh, I know that we have a few more suggestions from you, so I know that we'll be doing those sometime in the <laughs> I near future. hope they're better future. than this movie. Jeez. Uh, two are, two are not. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I looked at them and I was like, yes, this looks like fun. And just listeners uh, to the podcast, if you comment, they have to let you do the podcast with them. That's right. It's, it's their that's rule. Right. You, they have to do it. It's it. It's a it's an old gypsy curse that, <laughs> <laughs> that's been put on us. Oh, uh, we are bound to it. Luckily, we like yeah, it. Yeah, we like the curse. It works out well. Yeah. So, uh, join us, everyone out there, for our next episode when we will be talking about the new Richard Linklater film, the sort of heir apparent to Dazed and Confused, called Everybody Wants Some. Uh, we'll be doing that in our next episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.